All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I'm Terry Lynn here with Travis Marziani, and today we're going to talk about the checklist to starting an e-commerce store, part two. But before we start, what's going on, Travis? Well, one of the big things I did in the last few weeks is, weeks is I actually went around and interviewed a bunch of dance studio owners, and I found out a lot of great information. One of the biggest things I found out is most of these people don't use a website. Most of the people have never bought anything online that I interviewed which made me realize that I need to take a different strategy. So I realized I need to actually create a physical catalog that I can send to these dance studios. And I'm really excited about this because one of the things I'm going to do is not just have all our products, but what I'm going to do is on the flip side have basically a DIY dance costume guide. So it's going to be content. So like half of it's going to be a legit book that they can actually read and give out to their students. And the other half is going to be all about our you know, dance clothing. So I think that's going to really do a lot of good for our business. Gotcha. So are these going to be like wholesale price catalogs or just like a retail catalog that'll be in the store? It'll just be retail. I mean, I'll give them uh, maybe a discount of 10% or so, but I don't even know if I'll do that. Basically, it's just going to be, hey, if you're, maybe you have a dress that's like neon lime and you need some neon lime, lime briefs, uh, if you, uh, before this, before our company, you'd kind of be screwed, but it's like, hey, here's an option for you. Gotcha. So how do they not buy anything online? It's like 2015. I kind of find that hard to believe. Yeah, think about like your mom. I mean, your mom might buy some stuff online, but she probably is not going to spend $1,000 on dance clothing at least, you know, or or whatever. Yeah, actually, I don't think she's bought anything online before. See? Exactly. (laughs) That's my demographic. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. All right, that makes complete sense. Yeah, all right then. So for me, uh, I'm looking to move some wallets to FBA. I have the listings already. I have some sales on Amazon, but I just don't have an FBA. So I'm looking to see if there's anyone that can pack like five or six units for me just to test out two SKUs. So uh, if anyone listening out there has someone that knows, you know, they can repackage stuff for me, uh, please let me know. Uh, Terry, I've been on my online store.com. Alrighty, so let's get started then. So uh, today we're gonna to talk about part two of the checklist of starting an e-commerce store. So last week we talked about kind of the basics, right? Like setting up your product pages, category pages, SEO, you know, all the uh, kind of nitty gritty of the back end, right? Getting your payment gateway, things like that. So today we'll talk about part two, which we'll talk about uh, once you have that set up, how do you get the marketing side up and running correctly and so that you kind of have the right tools in place, have the right numbers, and you can then optimize from there. So first one we're gonna start with is MailChimp uh, slash email capture. So uh, we said MailChimp first because it's free for the first 2,000 subscribers. So one of the things is uh, when you're starting out a brand new store or you're moving out uh, from some other carts and you never did much email marketing, you wanna keep your cost low. So MailChimp is basically free until you have 2,000 subscribers, but after that, uh, they charge you by a certain amount. I think it's like 10 bucks a month up to who knows how long. And so um, depending on where you are in email marketing, uh, it makes sense to start small before you kind of pay for another solution. Yeah, I use MailChimp. I think they have a genius model of saying, hey, your first 2,000 are free. And I think everyone else charges you for the first like 100 or any, any number that you have. So you get kind of hooked in. And I think it's pretty good. I mean, I've heard that some services like Clavio are a little bit better, but there's a lot of things you can do with MailChimp. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, it gives you the vanilla, like you can build a list, you can have opt-in forms, but you need to pay for autoresponders, but you can have either a monthly fee or you pay as you go kind of type of thing. So uh, where other cards, kind of like Aweber, if you pay 20 bucks a month, you just get autoresponders, everything, uh, and all of that stuff too. So um, usually, you know, depending on your budget, you know, if you can throw 20 bucks a month, add some email software, hey, more power to you. Or you want to do Clavio, which is like, you know, 100 plus, depending on what you need. The only thing is about Clavio is that they can do uh, behavioral email 
funneling. So like say someone, you send a product email and someone doesn't click it, you can move them to a different bucket and then send them to a demand. And if they click it, you can then kind of do other stuff because it cross checks with your shopping cart in terms of their sales data. So you get a lot more comprehensive solution. But uh, starting out, you know, that may or may not be what you're looking for. Yeah, to be honest, I think if you have a thousand or 2,000 even or less uh, email subscribers, doing that kind of crazy stuff isn't really going to give you a big benefit. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, get something like MailChimp set up and you want to make sure that it's pushing your customer emails to this list because uh, later on you want to be able to inform them on new stuff or keep in touch, uh, things like that. Because otherwise you have to go in your cart, you know, figure out all these emails, how to send it to them. And it's going to be a huge pain in the ass if it's not pushing into this list somewhere offline. All right, so next one is social platform. This one's pretty basic here. So one of the mistakes we see a lot is like someone will start a store, they'll have like eight social media platforms. You'll have like Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, MySpace, I don't know, Dig, StumbleUpon, all this weird stuff like, you know, Yik Yak, I don't know. Like, like, are you really going to be on all nine platforms? If you are, then put it on. If you're really just focused on like two or three. Yeah, I will say it's not a bad idea to register your name. So, you know, for me, I got B-Dance on a couple different platforms that I might not ever use. But a lot of times, if someone were to come along and take that name and uh, do a lot of work with it, that's it'll rank pretty high. Like if you search B-Dance where you'll see that it's our website. And then I think you know, the second one's our Facebook and the third one's our Twitter and a fourth one's our Instagram. So it's not a bad idea to at least get your name. Yeah. And my point was that it's not like to not take your account there, like you know, to plant your flag, but it's like if you're not going to invest resources into all platforms just put the ones that you're actually putting time and energy into because then you're building like nine platforms at a time it's i really don't know if you can do that unless you're like taco bell or coca-cola with you know a hundred two hundred person team that can actually afford to do native ads or content on each platform yeah a hundred percent agree that's one of the things i'm actually doing right now is figuring out how many how much time i'm spending on all the different platforms and seeing which ones actually have good returns and for the record it seems like facebook is almost worthless now unless you're doing some paid advertising personal opinion from my research yeah and i guess it depends on your industry too right so uh, whether it's image-based b2b or kind of some really niche thing and that appeals to you so for example like if you're doing like you know adult toys facebook is not good because nobody wants the grandma to see that they like some i don't know some butt plug or <laughs> something like that like no like nobody is going to share that stuff like but, but if you're doing like i don't know like shoes or something like fashion you know maybe instagram is better things like that um but oh, yeah i even just mean like our organic you know like i try to share good content and we've done a lot of work on some of the content we've shared and it's getting we have about 2800 likes and it's getting about 40 views so it, it's it's not worth paying someone 20 minutes to go make a really good picture, post it, and then it gets 40 views. That's nothing. Yeah. Have you thought about making a passion page instead of like the brand page? Because that's what kind of is like the new thing now. Is it you actually, I did not know that. You, no. act, you actually ignore BeDancer.com and you build uh, like we, we're like we're dancers and we're proud type of page. And all you do is just post dancer stuff. And then once in a while you post BeDancer stuff. And apparently the organic reach is a lot better that way. I am actually working on something similar to that. I'll, t I'll talk about it in a future episode, but yeah, okay. I know you're talking about yeah, that. That's basically like the past two, three months is what everyone's been doing uh, for a new page. Because like, when you like a page on Facebook, especially a business page, you know they're going to send you product stuff. And I think a lot of people now are getting more immune to that and they're very careful um, with who they follow and being much more liberal with unfollowing mm -hmm. pages too. So when you have like an interest page, 
um, you know, it's kind of more easy to like. Like if it was like, oh, like an electronic music fans page, like, oh, okay, yeah, you just like that. They're probably not going to sell you anything, but once in a while they can post something and it won't be as bad as some like, you know, some store that's hawking you stuff. Yeah. And then the other people in the group are posting content too. It's not all on you. That's okay. I, I got to get on this. Yeah, it's like, it's like a commu- it. community page once that in a while sense. that plugs your business page, essentially. And, and the, the idea is that if you do it through paid likes, uh, the C- CPC is technically maybe cheaper than if you were to just drive those to your business page. And the, you get better engagement too. It's kind of the high level of why people are doing this. Makes sense. Yeah, you know, there's a couple articles we can link to these. I think one guy, John Loomer, and I think Viper Chill has the way they did it. I think they spent like 20 bucks a day, something like that, to build the page of like 10,000 followers, and then they would just plug their business page in there. And so they spent money to build up this passion page. Yes, you use that to build paid oh, likes, and that that's the, the okay. CPC of that is should be cheaper than just running blank ads to all these people. Huh. Cool. So you get them in the door through the interest page, and then that becomes a gateway to. So, our wait, just really quick, our passion page is different than like groups, because I was thinking about starting like a group. Yes, yeah, it's, um, it's different. It's just like a yeah. fan page, basically. Gotcha. And can you also do paid posts for groups? Groups, I don't know. Well, I mean, well, you own the page, and the page can just have an ad account, right? Basically, you just promote that ad. So the way like these posts, they, they say like, hey, say craft brews, right? I would uh, look for like the top. IPA ales, little brands, whatever other craft brews there are, and then I would just run ads to like like, like you know fans of craft brew page, right? And then I would run an ad to get on these relevant interest pages to get them to like my page too, because you know we're just like craft brew fans, right? And then once in a while, every once a week, I'll post you know you know Travis's brew in Los Angeles, like you know we have a discount by now. I like it. So try it out and then uh, we'll see. All right, so uh, next one, we'll move on to Google Shopping. So Google Shopping, um, the product feed is kind of complicated to set up actually. I remember doing this like a year or two ago and I was like, oh, it's kind of a pain. But it's the best CPC I think you can get, best ROI. On everything I've done, it's uh, by far the best time I spent and best money I spent setting it up because right now if you were to search, and please don't click on any of my ads, but if you were to search for some of my products, You'll like I, I hate selling people to go search for them because then they start clicking. I'm like, that cost me a dollar. But anyways, some of my products, if you were to search for them, you'll see that my product listing ads, four of the six product listing ads are my ads, which is awesome. Like, so if someone were to search for, I'm just gonna say like booty shorts, uh, for instance, let's say someone searched for booty shorts, it would have red booty shorts, yellow booty shorts, green booty shorts, black booty shorts, and then two other companies' booty shorts, but the first four would all be mine. And I've just seen really great ROI with that. So I love these. And I think if you look at like the real estate on that front page, if you get the SEO, like top rank and the Google shopping, you're basically dominating like a good, you know, 20% of the screen where they could go to your site too, versus if you just had the SEO ranking. I I usually, um, what I found with a lot of the keywords I'm targeting, I have pretty much first or second place for the regular text ads and then a few of the product listing ads. And I think that's honestly probably just as good, if not better, than the organic listing because Google seems to be pushing down those organic listings farther and farther down. Yeah, well, and you got the image too, right? So if you're like, someone's got the intent to buy something, they see the image. And the price. So they see an image and a price, it's like, okay, uh, I know I'm going to be buying this. Yeah, but the good thing is that most carts do have the way to auto-feed this to Google. I'm not sure how uh, Volusion does it, but basically there's some 
uh, backend in the product section that can kind of auto feed this. And you just got to spend like a few hours in a day to make sure it's talking to them correctly and mm-hmm. it's all synced up. To be honest, I tried the Volusion auto feed. It was easier to do it manually than it was to do it through the auto feed. Same thing, they have an Amazon auto feed and I was banging my head against it and finally someone else that had Volusion said, just do it manually. And I'm like, oh, duh, that's so much easier. Yeah, it depends on like how many products you have. If it's just like one or two products, you know, five to 10, it's not that bad. But if you have like 100, 200, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it, it may true. depend on your own stuff. Alrighty, so paid ads accounts, uh, you want to get this set up, uh, basically your AdWords module, you want to link that with your analytics, webmaster tools, and kind of get all that data talking to each other. Um, but you know more about this than me, so what's up with this? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things is if you're starting your AdWords account, make sure you link it with your analytics account. I've seen too many people that have an AdWords account and they're sending traffic to their website, but it's not properly being tagged. And we've talked a lot about you know URL tagging on this show and you can do it manually, but why would you do it manually when it will automatically be done for you if you just link your AdWords account and your analytics account? So I highly recommend doing that. Yeah, and it makes it easier to see what keywords are working and what isn't too, because it's just all in one dashboard. Another note I will say that I found is Google recommends only having like one or two campaigns in lots of ad groups. No, no, no. I'd say have lots of campaigns because it's easier to sort in analytics by campaign for there's a lot of different times where it's kind of a pain if you have to drill down into ad group, but it's really simple to do by campaign. So for me, I separate, I might have one or two ad groups within every campaign, but for the most part, for any big concept, I have a new campaign. So I have probably about 30 campaigns in my AdWords account right now. Yeah, I think it's easier to shut down campaigns than to go into each campaign and shut down different groups because you got to keep track of what's in each campaign after that too. Yeah, and I think when you're first starting out, you know, take big swings. Um, don't you combine a lot of stuff. I, I'm kind of saying the opposite of what I just said, but like, yeah. So I mean, if you need to shut down a campaign, make it so that when you shut down that campaign, it's it's completely done. So if let's say I were to try to advertise booty shorts, for instance, once again, and I see that it's not working, you can go through and shut down ad group by ad group and see, oh, is it this ad group or is that? But a lot of times it's better just to say, okay, this campaign doesn't work, you know? Yeah, it's like you're testing different ideas and this idea is done, so let's lay it to rest instead of keeping something within there still running and you gotta figure out what's yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, if there's a lot of traffic coming from it and you're, it, it might be worth kind of getting really small micromanaging it, but I think when you're first starting out, just kind of shotgun shoot things and see, okay, this hit some targets over here, this hit nothing, Let's let's drill in deeper in the one that actually hit something. Yeah, so I guess how are you organizing your campaign starting out? Though? I organize all my campaigns by product. Um, and then, you know, so let's say I have... Uh, well, the way I started out was all my campaigns were based on product. And then within that, I'd have a bunch of different... I probably shouldn't give away too much stuff. But different keywords that people would search for for that product. And then if I found that that one campaign had a lot of traffic, then I start segmenting it out a little bit more, doing different ad groups and things like that. But basically, for me, every product has its own campaign. And then if that campaign's getting a lot of traffic, then I'd kind of make it into smaller ones. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, cool, cool. So I guess next one, uh, photo assets. So when you start a store, you think, you know, product, logo, but there's actually like a lot of other stuff, like your different social media profiles. You got to have like cover photos, profile photos, background photos. And the thing is, they're all different sizes. 
and kind of dimensions too and if it doesn't look right your aspect ratio gets thrown off so i uh, got to spend some time figuring out you know what platforms you want to be on and kind of the photo assets that you want to have on there too and this includes like your bio like say your twitter bio uh, instagram bio you know do you want that custom link all that stuff uh, kind of does take some time to wrap up too yeah i really wish all the different social media sites would just have like a standard 500 by 1500 and then they kind of just scale it. But that was a big pain for me. Because like I think it was Google Plus had some really weird dimensions. And then Facebook and Twitter were somewhat similar. But I ended up having to do everything from scratch. Because they were all too different to be able to use the same images. Yeah. And if you use it, like it looks, starts looking funny. And like all this weird stuff. And you know, it's kind of a pain in the ass too. So uh, it also depends like what platform you're on too. right? So like if you're going to be on... If you want to... You know, get the space of your brand name in all your platforms. Uh, you should at least get this up because you know you don't want someone searching it and it looks kind of empty. Yeah, and I th- I really think that if you're halfway decent with Photoshop, that this will take you know maybe a day to set up all the different stuff, get your profile picture and your header banner type yeah, thing exactly. set up. All right, so I guess that's kind of uh, the marketing side of things. So we'll go into tools a little bit more here, uh, kind of like when you get the tools set up. A lot of times you want to get the right data, right? So this is dependent on getting everything set up correctly. So first thing that uh, kind of has been on everyone's radar is referral spam in analytics. So uh, I know you've been getting this a lot. I've been getting this a lot, even for like new sites, like a random domain I bought. I just put analytics in and suddenly I get like 100 visitors a day and like 80 of it is like spam traffic or like 90 of it. It's so disappointing for the other podcasts that I do. I was like, oh man, I'm getting 1,500 visitors a month, which isn't a lot. And then I looked at it and like a thousand of it was referral spam. And I'm like, oh, that's so deflating. Yeah. So, so if you don't know what we're talking about, if you go to Google Analytics, you go to audience, uh, no, you go to acquisition and you go to overview and you click referral. And um, if you see like floatingsharebutton.com, $100seo.com, you know, eventtracking.com. Like this is all like spam analytics stuff. So the way this works is basically there's these bots that are pinging your website with traffic because they can see your Google Analytics ID because it's in your header. And I don't think they're doing anything about this because I don't know what they do. So basically they can get your ID and they can just start spamming you with traffic. And it looks like you're getting real traffic when it's just like this weird bot. Like see site4.floatingsharebuttons.com, site5 floating share and they got like 100 views in the past month so basically this throws your conversions data off because it looks like you're getting a lot of traffic uh with no conversions but you know it's probably actually higher if you discount this traffic too so i think there's two ways to do this one if you have access to your uh, hta access file on your server you can actually block this domains from the kind of server logs and uh, actually so apparently this file is like what actually gets to access uh, your site and you can actually hard block it now, the other way is to just filter it in analytics and it kind of works it kind of doesn't work but you know there's no better solution until google can figure this out how to block this i completely. think they will eventually but so question for you with shopify do you have access to the ht access or whatever uh i'm not actually sure i don't know the platform that well i've only used it for like three weeks so i know with Fusion you don't and there's a lot of other things that having access to that's really beneficial for but yeah so the way to filter this uh, i think you want to do it at the account level not at the view level because um everyone has different views so if you go to like admin and analytics and you go to the left tab there's account and there's all filters that's where you want to kind of uh, filter things out now the thing is like you can set these filters but remember there's they can always just make a new domain and start spamming you again. So it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing where you're always you're cat chasing the mouse 
type of thing until you know Google can drop the hammer and just completely ban this stuff. One thing I did that kind of helped out is I well I filter my traffic because I'm only interested in U.S. traffic, and I think it gets rid of some of that uh, referral spam because I think a lot of it's based in like Russia and China. Yeah, but it depends. You know, if you're like in Australia or depending on where your business is, that may or may not make sense too. So, um, you know, play around with the filters because it does really does throw off your traffic. You're like, wow, I got so many visitors, and you realize half of it is spam. Well, and, you're like, and then oh. the negative side is, I think I thought my bounce rate was really high, and I was like, what am I doing wrong? And then when I filtered it out, I'm like, oh, it's actually not that bad at all. Alrighty, so next one, um, e-commerce tracking. This is a kind of a big one. Like usually, uh, when you install analytics, uh, you just there's a little box you got to check in the settings to, to make sure that it's pulling e-commerce data from your store. Because what happens is analytics generally just tracks visitors, what they do on your site. And you actually need the shopping cart to tell analytics, hey, you know, Travis bought $50.20 worth of stuff. And here's his kind of channels. And it's got to attribute that to each uh, visitor. Otherwise, you're not going to see the data or you're going to have some data mismatch where you have orders in Shopify, big commerce order, but it's not showing up in your analytics. And you got to fix this either through uh, the e-commerce tracking or you got to tweak the JavaScript a little bit. Um, the shopping cart will tell you how to do it, but you got to make sure this is working too. And so do a test order one or two to make sure it's pulling the data into. Otherwise, you're going to be thinking your cart's broken when um, you know, it's just data that's not set up correctly. Yeah, I know for Volusion, I had to actually go in and add some JavaScript to my, like, I think it was my check, my either my checkout page or my thank you page. And it was a pain in the ass to find. So I recommend just searching for your platform and then e-commerce tracking because it was like actually custom JavaScript that you had to write. But the answers are usually out there. So I, I just do a Google search for it. Yeah, basically it was like telling analytics when this guy gets to checkout.php to also pull the dollar value into that visitor, essentially, is what it's doing. But each cart has its own JavaScript, so you got to double check that it's working yeah. uh, like that. All right, so next one, uh, Webmaster Tools. This one is kind of a more admin tool than analytics. So a lot of the stuff, um, uh, well, I guess one big thing is um, analytics no longer shows you keyword search data. Webmaster Tools does show you a little bit more. And uh, you can see this in the dashboard uh, within there. But there's also kind of some basic things, like you want to submit uh, the www.version of your site and the non-www version. And you want to submit your sitemap so Google knows what your site looks like, kind of some more high-level stuff. Yeah, another thing that's really useful in there is you can actually see all the links that are coming into your site. I mean, there's other tools like Majestic and uh, a few other ones out there where you can do this. But I actually will, once every few weeks, go in and just see, hey, what links has Google seen that are going to my website? And that's been really cool. It's kind of a, a good way to waste some time if you're ever bored. Yeah, and whether you use the, the Google or the Google Webmaster Tools version or like a, a Majestic type thing, that's another thing I'd recommend is every once in a while just looking at where your links are coming from because you might find out that someone out there with a blog really likes something you're doing or you know, I found out I found out all kinds of interesting people that are linking to my website. Yeah, and I think this is the place to actually disavow links too. If you have any like old SEO, black hat stuff that you've been penalized for, you got to do this in Webmaster Tools. Yeah, and I think one thing to periodically do is if you got adding new products, is just uh, submit your sitemap because basically the sitemap is saying, hey, here's my website, here are the pages, here are the product pages, and uh, you know, index it basically essentially and so uh, you could you can submit this or it doesn't manually but sometimes you know if the crawl is messed up uh, whatever they don't crawl all your pages just to be safe uh, you can always manually submit this uh, to Google yep. 
Alrighty, so next one, uh, Sumo Me. So this Sumo Me is a tool uh, by Noah Kagan uh, we had on the show a couple months ago. And uh, this is one of my new favorite tools now because the amount of kind of tools he gives you for free starting out is really powerful. So uh, it has heat maps, uh, content analytics, and like kind of email captures either through an exit pop-up, scrolling box, or like a hello bar on the top. And all these are basically free to start out. You can pay like 10 bucks, 20 bucks a month to remove the branding, but otherwise, uh, you kind of pretty much see this everywhere now on the internet. It's been really taken off the past year. So the good thing is that the heat maps, um, I think you get a thousand clicks for free. The thing is you got to go to each page and activate it. So the way to install Sumo Me is basically you insert this code into your header and then basically there's a dashboard that manages everything too. So when you do heat maps, um, don't just do your front page. You got to go into each category page into it because otherwise if you think uh, if you press record, it only records that one page. So don't think that it records your whole site, which is a mistake uh, I made. Yeah, I haven't used this before. That's uh, I, isn't that there's other similar things though that you don't have to go through and do each page, right? Yeah, I guess. So this one you just had to go through and do each page. Uh, at least when I used it. Maybe it'll change in the future, but uh, who knows? And then the next one is content analytics. This one tells you how many people are reading your content. And basically, there's a distribution of people. Say you have like a 10,000 word blog post, you'll actually uh, visually on the site, uh, you'll see like here, 50% of people made it here, the other 20% made it here, and 0% made it to the bottom. So you need to know to move your buttons up or uh, your call to actions and things like that. And this is just a free tool too. So as soon as you get your site up, turn this on, you know, get a thousand visitors and then you'll see kind of what's hitting, what's not. So th this can work where if you have like nine featured products, on the front page and you're not sure what people are clicking, you can see through the heat maps. All right, maybe these two products have no clicks. Let's swap these up. Let's move these other three that are getting a lot of hits up there and see what else we can put in front of people to kind of that's the way to use it. So as soon as you get your site up, you want to have this up and running because the more data you have to kind of iterate from there, the more uh, helpful it is. Too. Yeah, and the third part of Sumo Me is kind of the email capture. So they have one called List Builder, another called Scrolling Box, another called Smart Bar. These are all kind of email capture things that can tie into MailChimp infusion soft whatever and so the smart bar is basically some a little like 10 pixel 15 pixel bar on the top uh, that just has like you know subscribe now or click here for discount code and then they enter the email and list builder is something that kind of works via exit pop-up where they kind of have this code that you know when someone's about to leave they'll do this pop-up and the thing is that you can set um, the frequency or you can you know, don't show this to someone if they see it once after a month uh, so you can make sure it's really not invasive and annoying when someone visits your site too. And scrolling box, the third one is just a box that shows up on the right corner, bottom right corner, as you scroll down the page and it kind of pops up and says, hey, you know, how's it going? Uh, here's what we have for you. Give us your email. Uh, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I recently installed this actually on, on my blog, both uh, a personal blog and the blog for my website. And it seems to be doing pretty good. I mean, it's a better conversion rate than the last pop-up software I had, but that's not saying much because our, the conversion rate in the last software was almost 0%. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's saving you the hassle of going to like MailChimp, copying the code for the, you know, whatever the sign-up form is, redoing this here and having like five different plugins for all this stuff instead of just having one uh, on your site. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. All right. So next one, uh, Facebook retargeting. So before we get into this, retargeting is one of those things where you need a list of people to retarget before you can retarget. So the sooner you can build the list, uh, the sooner the better. Yeah. You need to have that code on from your website from day one. That was a huge mistake I made because I got really like gung ho and I'm like, yeah, I want to start retargeting. And then I started to go down the process and I realized, oh, wait a minute. I got to put this pixel on my website 
So it'll start tagging everybody that I need to retarget and that needs to build up. So as soon as I was all pumped up to start doing the retargeting, I realized oh, I got to wait a week so until I have people to retarget. And I think there's a minimum on Facebook. I don't know if that's still correct, like 100 people, 500 people, something like that. Like you need a minimum list to actually run ads. So you can't just put it on day one and hope, you know, day two you can start retargeting unless you have massive traffic. Yeah, same thing with Google, actually. I'm pretty sure it's at least 100. Uh, I, there is a way to hook up with Google to your analytics. And I got it to work on one of my accounts, but I didn't get it to work on another one of my accounts. So, yeah, I can't, I can't figure that out. Yeah, basically just get these two codes in your HTML header because you may, you may or may not want to be retargeting, but you want to at least have that list as the option if that day ever comes. And these cookies last, I think, for 180 days, where if you tag someone, you have you know half a year to decide if you want to retarget to them too. So uh, you always want to be building this uh, as soon as you can. And it, it doesn't cost you anything. It's like an hour to set up and then you're good to go. All right, so I guess these are the basic tools to kind of get started with a store in terms of the marketing side and analytics where uh, you want to have email capture, your social platforms, Google Shopping, paid ads linked up, photo assets, uh, analytics with e-commerce tracking, webmaster tools, uh, Sumo Me suite of tools, heat maps, content analytics, smart builder, Smart bar, list builder, scrolling box, retargeting. And the final section we'll go into here is kind of the um, data check. So say you got all these tools up, you got your store up and running. Well, what do you do from now, right? So, so one of the things I like to do is weekly reports from analytics. So I actually just told Travis this. He didn't know this. So apparently um, in analytics, if you go up to audience overview and under the button, there's an email. You can actually make analytics send you a weekly email of all the traffic uh, you're getting too. Uh, whether that's you want it monthly, uh, bi-weekly, uh, daily things like that. It's kind of an automated way to get it to you instead of logging every day. Now, not that you shouldn't log in every day, but it gives you a quick overview um, on a high level. I actually will say you should not log in every day, and this is a mistake I make, and I hate myself for doing it. But realistically, there's not a lot of changes, and this is maybe maybe you disagree, Terry. There's not a lot of changes you can make or should make in a week time unless you have like a million visitors. I think it's much better to to wait a month. Um, so you're kind of playing to the highs and the lows and you can see, okay, this campaign's working or it's not working. A mistake I made early on, and I, I actually still continue to make, is I'll start a new ad campaign and the next day I'll see how's it doing. And the next day, how's it doing? And it's like, well, that's not enough data to mean anything. So I like the idea and I'm trying to do once a month, I just look over all my analytics and say, oh, look at this page seems to be doing really well and this page isn't doing so well. I don't know. How do you do it? Yeah, you're right. Because especially like if your site gets like, say, 50 to 100 visitors a day, even then, like day by day, you're not going to see much difference. Like you'll see a spike or a drop, but in the scope of things, you got to wait for a bigger time frame to actually make anything out of that data too. So I check it like once a week, something like that, just okay. to make sure it's okay. But I, I used to do it daily and I'm like, oh, this is stupid. It's a waste of time. Doing it daily is just analytics masturbation. It's just like, ooh, Look at this. Oh, I, I made some sales. And I still do this and I hate myself for doing it, but I'll go in and I'll look at my sales, you know, conversions, I think they call it, in analytics and say, oh, what's the source and medium? Oh, it came from this, this, and this. And it's like, that doesn't really help you day to day. But if you wait a week or a month and you say, wow, we're getting a lot of conversions from this source, I should pour more time or money into it, it makes sense. It, it almost is a waste of your time. It just makes you feel kind of good, I guess, to check it on an everyday basis. Yeah, like you're getting a few orders a day. It's not going to tell you much versus when you look at an aggregate over a whole month, like 500, right? Then it's a much more better data to play stuff off. And then even then, if you change that, it'll take another month to see what the results are too. So it's, it's like a marathon, not a sprint type of thing too. Absolutely. Yeah.
Alrighty then. So uh, next one we have is uh, top landing pages. So what's the deal with this one? So, I mean, after you've done your whole, like, what do you check in these reports? We said that you should probably do it about once a month. And I'll just say some of the things that I like to check. The, one of the first things is the top landing pages. So uh, what landing pages, what actual pages on my website to, gets the most traffic? Another one's top exit pages. What pages on my website are the most people leaving from? And these two are both very important. The first one, top landing pages, you want to know, okay, how come um, I see that obviously your, your number one one's going to probably be your default homepage. So you'd say, okay, I get 3,000 people a month to my homepage. And then you'd look, oh, you know, what's the second one? What's the third one? And for me, one of the things I realized is a page where I had all my colors laid out, it was completely not selling anything, completely almost useless was my second best landing page. And I realized, okay, I'm getting let's say 2,500 people a month coming to this page and they're getting frustrated and leaving because it's not very easy to buy something from that. So what I did is I actually added to the top of that page, oh, you know, here are our best-selling products. So if someone was searching, for instance, neon green booty shorts, they might come to this page and then they see booty shorts at the top and makes it really easy for them to click there and go to that page. Yeah, so the thing with top landing and exit page is that what are people coming from and how do we keep people from leaving essentially on a very high level yeah and the best converting is all right what's working let's double down on this and uh, kind of figure out from there too so i guess because that's kind of a daunting thing when you first get analytics like well what do i start looking at and this is kind of a good guidepost to see right, where are people coming from where are they leaving and how we keep them on the site so that they kind of either opt in or buy something. And within best converting, it's not just what are your best converting pages, but it's like, all right, what are your best converting AdWords ads? What are your best converting channels? So maybe you see, wow, I'm converting really well through Pinterest and I'm only spending a few hours a week. You know, oh, I should probably be spending 10 hours a week or you know, build that up. So you want to look at all your different sources of traffic, all your different pages, things like that to see what's working for you that really shouldn't be, like that you're not spending that much time on and spend more time on that. And also, what are you spending a lot of time on? For instance, for me, Facebook marketing, and it seems like it's not worth it. If I'm spending five hours a week on Facebook marketing, but I'm only getting one sale a week, not worth my time. So I got to figure out where I can allocate that. And we talked about this a bit earlier where we were talking about like measuring different channels. I guess you were using average page view as a metric, right? Like say you spend two hours on Facebook, $100 with VA stuff and like you were getting 10 pages. You were doing like cost per page view uh, as an average to see what channel was kind of more ROI than the other. Because every platform has different resources that goes into it. Right? So how do you, what's the metric that kind of ties it all together? And you were saying you used average page view because then you had an ROI calculated to that. Yeah, page views and I think time on page are really important because someone coming from Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, they're probably not going to convert right away. But for instance, let's say... And this just happened to me um, the other day. I think it was someone from YouTube looked at 48 pages on my website. That person's probably eventually going to buy. Like in that instance, I mean, how many times you go to a website and you look at a bunch of the pages, but you don't buy right then because, you know, it needs to kind of sit there and soak in your brain. I guarantee that person looked at 48 pages a week or two from now or when they need some dance clothing is going to be like that website, bedancer.com. That's where I'm going. Yeah, like she probably knows what she needs. She's just comparing and shopping and they'll sit on it for like another week or so. And yeah, and she's probably reading the About Us page. Well, what are the, the return policy? What's the shipping? Maybe the frequently asked questions. Let's look at a couple different things. So that's why, especially from social media and 
uh, Facebook advertising, I like to look at number of page views and time on page. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're Googling reviews about you guys too, just to see what's out there. And then, which kind of ties into our last point, where it's like, check your website search. Because you know you want to know what actually comes up. Like, is your title showing up correctly? Is your meta description showing up correctly? Like, what does a, what does someone actually see when they search for your site as they're going to it? And does it make sense in what you have set up uh, off the bat? And there's actually another thing. Uh, part of the thing I meant with the website search is in Google Analytics, you can set it so that when people are on your website typing for items, so. Uh, I, for instance, we have like a little search bar on, you know, beatanswer.com. And I found a lot of people have been searching for unitards recently. Well, then you know that you probably should add unitards to your website. Uh, so I, that's something you can tag in analytics and it's worth looking at every once in a while. Another thing I found out is a lot of people are searching for leotards and they're exiting because when they search for leotards, my search breaks for some reason. And I got to fix that, basically. Huh. This, are you using the custom Google search or is it within the Volusion search that it can tag it? With, with almost any searches, like if you were to, on your site, if you were to search, do you have a search bar? Okay, if, if you were to search, it usually is like um, ballerwallets.com, like I think it's something like percentage sign S, and then it has the keywords, and you just gotta tell Google Analytics that, oh okay, percentage S, anything after that is the keywords, and then uh, it just imports that data. Interesting, so it just basically, like scrapes it as they search it essentially. Exactly, yeah. Because I mean, it, it it takes the people, like if they were to come to your website and type in brown wallet, it'll take them to ballerleather.com slash percentage S brown dash wallet. And then Google Analytics says, oh, they came to this landing page and obviously they're searching for brown wallet. So it's like, it's like a form of URL tagging, but it's search tagging. Basically. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's, that makes sense. All right. So I guess that's it for analytics check. Uh, kind of go over that. Um, you want to get, you know, don't check your analytics every day. Uh, know your top landing pages, top exit pages, how to optimize each, your best converting pages, most visited products, and the sources that give you the most page views, and to where to double down uh, from there too. Because every traffic channel is different. Some of them might work better for you, and you want to figure out quickly as possible which one to double down and which one to kind of drop so you can kind of focus your efforts on that too. So that's it for part two. Uh, we might do a part three. Uh, we'll talk about this later on. And uh, part three, we'll probably talk about some more marketing tools uh, and things like that. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next time. Catch you next week.